0: Funding for The Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone-Peterson-Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Additional support for The Hinckley Report comes from State Street. I'm Sean Higgins, co-host of KUER's State Street Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of Utah
1: politics and what's at stake for you. You can listen wherever you get your
0: podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Republican Representative in the Utah House of Representatives, Candace Perucci. Jen Plum, Democratic Senator and Minority Assistant Whip in the Utah Senate. And Robert Gerke, news columnist at the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad to have you all with us as we finish the second week of the legislative session. A lot happening on the national stage, but also locally. We're gonna to get to all tonight, including some new polling and some numbers where Utahans are on key issues. Representative, let's start with you a bit about what just happened in New Hampshire. We just had the New Hampshire primary on the heels of the Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump uh, came out with 54% of the vote. Nikki Haley at 43%, other candidates at 3%. Talk about about some of the dynamics going into that that election and that race and what we might see coming forward as we start having a lot more of these.
2: So Governor DeSantis had obviously dropped out right before that race. I had endorsed him uh, over the summer. And, but the, the polling and study showed that three fourths of his votes were going to go to President Trump, former President Trump. So that obviously was a big boost to President Trump as he was going into the New Hampshire primary. You had Nikki Haley who really needed to do well there to convince her donors and her base that she could take on this fight and keep going. So South Carolina is her home state, it's her stomping ground. Uh, that said, Senator Tim Scott did endorse President Trump and so we'll have to see. I think polling shows her trailing behind. And so we'll see how long Nikki Haley stays in the fight. She's got a really fantastic resume and a history of being a conservative fighter uh, in South Carolina as governor and then as ambassador to the United Nations. But I think right now it's looking more and more like former President Trump will be the Republican Party nominee.
1: Mm-hmm. I, gotta, I gotta think if she loses her home state, it's pretty much over at that point, right? So, so there's a lot of riding on it. Uh, it's also kind of a sad commentary that we can decide who the next nominee is gonna be based on the outcomes of just three states. The other 47 just don't matter, I guess. Uh, by the time we get to Utah, it's probably gonna be, you know, a done deal. Uh, and, and Utah voters probably will get not much say in who the nominee is gonna be, which w- w- is interesting because Utah's not been very kind to Trump in the past. And, uh, you know, there might be a possibility for somebody, to, somebody else to emerge if, if we got to that far.
2: I do think it would be a lot better if we went beyond three states, right? Where we see people dropping after one state. I mean, that was a few hundred thousand voters in our country of millions. And I think it would be healthy if people mm-hmm. would stay in longer. So I know that Nikki is committed to, I'm here for the long call. I'm here for the fight. But I do think she's got a lot riding on South Carolina. It would
1: be nice if we could have a conversation about a way to reform it. Governor Herbert proposed this idea of rotating regional mm-hmm. primaries mm-hmm. where a group of states would go on the same day and each of them would take turns leading out. Yeah. And then you have regional voices rather than just I. Iowa, New Hampshire, it's over, you know? Which I love
2: that idea, but New Hampshire has it in their state constitution, which is why Joe Biden was not even on the ballot. They had to do a writing campaign because mm-hmm. they opted to try and throw another state first. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Senator, give us our perspective, th- particularly through the Democrats in the state of Utah, as you're watching that particular election, because we've seen the high profile Republicans like Senator Romney, for example, say, I want to narrow the field. You know, We want to make sure we have uh, our support behind a small number instead of a lot of discord in that, that party. You, from your vantage point, what are you seeing happening there?
3: You know, it's really interesting to watch from outside of that race, but knowing that ours will be coming soon, it's been really interesting for me just as a a political spectator and also someone who's greatly concerned about our political realm in general. You know, obviously that's not my party, but I have really appreciated seeing a candidate who comes out talking about issues, talking about policies, speaking w- with wisdom and not going after pure character assaults. That that for me has been nice to watch. You know, our party has not really thrown in another person into the ring. We haven't seen anybody else. And so uh, I'll be honest, I would I love discourse. I love dialogue. I like us hashing through things. And so you know, I don't know that I would trade, <laughs> but for me to watch it, that, that's definitely there for me.
0: I want to talk about the dynamics inside the Republican Party, Representative. I want to show you a clip first because we were just talking about Nikki Haley, and, and and first I want to talk about some the polling that went into this because this was Utans, and keep in mind uh, when this poll was out in the field, uh, Ron DeSantis was still in the mix. But the question was to Utans, um, if the presidential primary were held today, who would you vote for? And these were just Republicans, registered re- re- uh, voters. That that were Republicans, Donald Trump got 49% of the vote, Ron DeSantis at 13%, Nikki Haley at 22, that was a rise from the last poll, 17% don't know. Talk about that dynamic there, particularly the rise with Nikki Haley and where Utahns are on these two choices.
2: I do feel like 17%, and I don't know, that's a pretty large yeah. chunk. I mean, that's almost 20% of Republicans who are wondering where they would vote and what they would do. I do think the majority of Ron DeSantis' support will go to President Trump since mm-hmm. that since that poll. Uh, but I do think Nikki Haley has shown from the beginning, she was pulling at like 2%. So she has been the underdog that has surprised everyone in this race. But it, I think it's showing what the rest of the country is showing, that former President Trump is likely to be the Republican nominee, that people liked the policies, they liked the fighter in the White House that they saw and they want someone to push back. I think more than anything, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day where we're having President Joe Biden and former President Trump running. Uh, But I don't think people are satisfied with the past three years, the sky high record inflation, what's going on at the border, uh, just the cost of living in general. People are not satisfied with the economy. I think I just read a report today from the Hill that President Biden has the lowest third year approval rating since Jimmy Carter. So I think he is in a rough spot. And right now, though, these are the two options that our country feels like we need a rematch on
1: mm-hmm. and I, I think I think it's interesting because Biden's approval ratings are low but the economy is actually doing very well right now we've come out of the inflationary period in, into something that's going to be sustainable that said nobody I talk to is happy with this election everybody would like to have another choice and there are third parties but you know we've seen the difficulty third parties have um, I think a lot of people are going to hold their nose and vote for the candidate they voted for last time and it's going to be a very close election
0: uh, Robert if we can get your comment I'm going to show a clip from Nikki Haley if this gives us a Glimpse about what we might be seeing until this election, well, until that primary, till we find out who the final candidate is going to be. Let's show this and give us some themes that you see might be recurring through your lenses as a journalist.
1: With Donald Trump,
3: you have one bout of chaos after another. This court case, that controversy, this tweet, that senior moment. You can't fix Joe Biden's chaos with Republican chaos.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it, I think that kind of hits it on the head. The the chaos in the court cases, obviously the court cases are going to be dogging him throughout the rest of this year right up until the election and probably after. And then and then the the senior moment I think is an interesting one because that's a that's a hit we've heard a swing we've heard Trump take against Biden all the time, but it's a contrast that Haley's trying to draw between herself and and both of the other candidates frankly who are in the field. And so I I think that's uh, those are the vulnerabilities that Trump has and I think that
0: Assuming Trump emerges, Biden and Trump are going to be firing a lot of those same shots at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative, before we leave this one, uh, U- Utah is going to have a presidential preference poll on March 5th. Can talk about that just a little bit because that is Utah's opportunity to weigh in on the presidential race.
2: Exactly right. So that is caucus night. So that's where you go and you run as county, state delegate, precinct chair, get involved in the party. But that's also where you'll be able to list your preference of who you want to be our, our party nominee in the presidential election.
0: Yeah, happening through the Republican Party. So it'll be narrowing all the way to that point. Uh, Let's get to the legislative session for a moment because there are a lot of bills uh, as we finish the second week of the session. I want to get to two that are being discussed this very day. So even as we're filming uh, this episode, uh, legislators are working on some some concurrence uh, amendments to a couple of bills. And and Senator, let's start with you on uh, one dealing with bathrooms in particular. I want to get to House Bill 257. We have a third substitute bill that's out. And the title of this is is Representative Burke, is sex-based designations for privacy, anti-bullying, and women's opportunities. Talk about that bill for just a moment as you worked on it, and we'll have a chance to get through all the elements.
3: Sure. We actually just uh, voted on this bill, heard it, and, and voted on it yesterday on the Senate floor. And this bill in particular has been a really, um, I feel like, challenging piece of legislation to navigate for me and for many. And, and part of the challenge for me is that when we talk about what we hope for for our kiddos, for protections, for privacy, this is a space I'm deeply committed to. You know, I work as a pediatrician and I see kids in pretty traumatic and not always their best times. And I don't disagree that there should be privacy and safety within locker rooms, dressing rooms, changing rooms, all this sort of thing. In fact, I have a piece of legislation that we haven't talked about yet, but we will. But. The challenge, again, and I know I've said challenge 52 times, I'm trying to find the best way to enunciate these words, is that we left a whole group of folks feeling very targeted and feeling very isolated and frankly feeling like they're not wanted, and that's our our transgender youth. And I know that the intent was to create a safety space for all, but it ultimately ended up feeling very targeting. So um, I continue to to say I want to work on these issues with folks, but um, it was like a whiplash tour for us in the Senate. Uh, substitute number two actually felt like we'd made some progress in public spaces, that it was about behaviors, not about identities. And I, I will hold that that's what matters to me. It's about the behaviors, it's about don't be lewd, don't endanger other people's safety and or comfort uh, doesn't matter how you identify it matters how you behave and then the third substitute felt a bit to me like we, we took a step back from that so uh, it, it's going to be challenging and I, and I think there's going to be some unintended consequences that we'll want to figure out how to work through. Um, we'll see what happens after concurrence today I suppose uh, we'll have the ultimate answer but uh, it was a really really difficult uh, space for me in particular and for our caucus in particular.
0: Representative, talk about some of the changes that just occurred because there's a little bit of a reframing from one substitute to the next based on feedback and maybe some of these the consequences, some intended, maybe some not. Talk about what happened uh, with what we're going to see right now it has most likely chance of coming up.
2: Well, I think the intent, and it's in the title that it's talking about, right, it is creating safe places and creating a privacy plan in our K-12 through setting. I chair education. This mm-hmm. has come up quite a bit as I talk to districts. They don't have a set plan. They don't have a set policy and my own district had said we'd love for the state to actually create a policy here because we are in a gray area Uh, and so that's why I think it's important we have created a privacy plan and a process in place for students who want to use an alternative bathroom. Um, I think the definitions that came in on the definition of male and female obviously were in the third substitute. I'll say what is important to me about that. this bill, though, is the Title IX component, mm-hmm. that we've codified the best parts of Title IX and making sure that men and women have equal access to athletic facilities, and that goes for our K through 12 setting. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, girls are told, you can play at 5 o'clock, the boys get the field at 7 o'clock the prime time. No more can you do that. You need to alternate those. Uh, I know growing up, the girls would practice in the small gym, the boys would practice in the mm-hmm. big gym. And so, to me, codifying Title IX was a huge part of this bill, and I think a lot of the media is missing what is a, a lot of the meat in
1: this. Mm-hmm. Uh, ro- go ahead, Robert. I, I think the significance of that is then if you have a complaint, you can take it to a state agency, which is a lot more efficient than Instead a federal agency. Instead
2: of waiting agency. years for it to be reviewed by yeah. the federal
1: agency. But I think, I think the bill as a whole is unfortunate, and I agree with what Senator Plum said about a, a, a population feeling targeted because the sponsor of the bill, Senator McKay yesterday, couldn't come up with an example of this being an issue where a transgender person was in a bathroom. He cited examples of sexual assault that had occurred against children in bathrooms perpetrated by men. That's already illegal, so this bill doesn't do anything to change that. Now, I think what we've seen in the last three years is we've seen uh, medical care restricted, we've seen uh, sporting access restricted to transgender communities, now we're seeing bathroom access restricted, while we've seen hate crimes skyrocketing, and without an example of what we're supposed to, of, of this being an issue, it
0: looks like politics, pure and simple. Uh, Robert, what is your take on that sort of the reframing where it was about kind of uh, to the person now to the place, whether it was about the people going to the bathrooms, now a little more about the bathrooms. Well, but
1: it is still about the people going to the bathrooms, and, and so behavior in bathrooms, lewd behavior in bathrooms was illegal before. And so, again, if we're gonna, if we're gonna make a population feel targeted, we're doing a pretty good job of it. And, and I think that's the wrong way to go. These people, th- these people, this community, whether you like them or not, they're human beings and deserve dignity. And I think we're taking a big step backward on that front.
2: And I would say that, absolutely not, it is still a focus on the actual behavior. There's no penalty here if, say, a trans woman goes into whatever restroom they'd like, if they go into the bathroom, go to the bathroom, come out. There's no penalty here. Uh, it's if there is a behavior that then happens, right? That if there is, you, you can walk through it, lewd behavior, or if the assault, it walks through those things. So I, I view the third step as still focusing on behavior. I know that there were some definitions added that helped tighten the language again, But there are other pieces that were pulled out for uh, rape centers and family domestic violence shelters because they didn't want to compromise federal funding and they wanted to keep working on that piece of the bill. So I think their sponsor showed that she really was willing to sit down at the table and she's been working on this for over a year. Uh, But this is something that I know I've heard from my district uh, that they have wanted guidance on in the K through 12 space on how to create a privacy plan and how to address these issues. And I actually do think you have to have a compassionate approach for both individuals at the table. What happened in my area was unfortunate because it was one particular student who then all the parents called a school about and everyone knew who that student was who was using a different bathroom and it created a lot of Hatred towards that kiddo, which is not appropriate. It would have been much better if they were able to sit down with administration, create a privacy plan with their parents there, and have a safe opportunity for everyone involved. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and the, and the challenge with that though is that we've created this othering for that child, right? So that that child is not allowed to use the same space as everyone else. They have their other space that they're to they go can to. Use a
2: unisex restroom, which a lot of people
3: sure have and the, yeah, and there. that's and that's great in the schools where that exists. And mm-hmm. I, I am all for more unisex bathrooms across all of our facilities as we move. Forward. I don't think Which there's...
2: Which this bill also does. Right. Exactly.
3: Yeah. So I think what is now on us as community members, we've got the law coming into... Well, we'll know for certain, but if this bill goes into law, it's going to be really incumbent on us as as private citizens to not allow this to turn into a reason to question people's identity, to be the, the gender police. Are you, are you a woman? Are you really a woman? Are you a man? Are you really a man? And to not allow, I think, something that came out of the the previous presidential administration of this kind of bullying tactic tactic and targeting. And I think as, as private citizens, it's going to be really something we have to say we're not going to allow that to happen when it does. And
2: I think everyone agrees we don't want bullying or yeah. attacking right. happening, right. right? This is That's not the intent of this bill in any way. And I would encourage people to actually go read the bill.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the, the common themes right here, a little bit we're hearing about is this privacy space. Both of you have said something about that. That seems to be uh, something that we're still discussing too, whether or not the...
3: Yes, uh, for me. The locker room, yes. You think? Yeah, for me, absolutely, it is because, and I'll tell you, 23 years I've been a pediatrician, and and I work in the emergency department where I see the crises. Um, what happens in locker rooms? I don't think there's probably any one of us here or any one of the folks watching that would say ah, I loved my time in locker rooms. It was the most nurturing time for me to thrive. I became my best self. I don't think anyone feels that way. It, it's a space where you feel insecure and you feel anxious and sometimes depressed and and can be unfortunately targeted. I'm very it's vulnerable. So vulnerable and and. and And now with cell phones, that's only been amped up with with kiddos not using their, they don't have developed brains, they're young, not using their common sense, taking photos of one another, distributing those. Uh, I would like this privacy dialogue to continue because I think we all care about that privacy piece and I think we all care about that for all of our kiddos. So I would like that to keep going forward.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll watch that one uh, today and for the coming weeks. Uh, Robert, let's get to the, uh, another one that sort of uh, that came out in the first two weeks. I had a lot of conversation, a lot of time in committee, and a few different substitutes also. This is the bill dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, Katie Hall, the representative, is the, uh, the House sponsor. It's called Equal Opportunity Initiatives. Talk about what's happened in sort of the process now, because it's changed a little bit as well, but that one seems to be about uh, ready to be passed.
1: It's, it's evolving as well. Yeah, it's, it, it does look like it'll pass today. And, and from what we've heard, the governor's likely to sign it. It's something he talked about uh, in, in in the past. Um, basically, what it would do is it would restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at K-2, K-12 K and public universities and, and government entities. And so the the notion being that Everybody should have the same opportunities uh, and n- nobody should have unfair advantages. There are some unintended consequences. One of them that was raised recently was about wh- what it would mean for scholarships for indigenous communities that have been designated or earmarked for those people. Um, the, the, the sponsors say this is going to open opportunities to everybody, other people who might be at risk not based on their race or, or other factors. But you know, there, Senator Escamilla also made a point yesterday during the debate that the, the data shows that there are populations that are not given the same opportunities and achieving to the same levels, even though these programs are in place. And her point being, if, you, if we withdraw this, these programs, those disparities are just going to get worse.
2: So I'm chair education so we sat through a very robust discussion I've reviewed this bill I would say those opportunities are still available for those students because we're taking the 10.4 million dollars that was sitting in DEI offices across the state and redirecting it into student success centers and so there will still be opportunities available to have that help for a first generation student uh, for someone who needs that the assistance navigating through the process will have student success centers. The bill prohibits discriminatory practices. That's the crux of the bill. And uh, it, it boils down to, in the K through 12 setting, we've applied this, but also in higher education that are institutions of learning, uh, which you are intimately mm-hmm. involved with. Uh, are focused on academic excellence and preparing students for the workforce and entering it and that is the primary crux of their mission and that's what we're trying to get our tax dollars that are funding these institutions back on is preparing a workforce and academic excellence as opposed to us uh, getting off into the weeds in other areas that may not be the primary mission of it. I will say too I have double-checked because last night this came up about the waivers uh, for uh, our Native American students, and absolutely the MOU that is with the University of Utah is still intact and still in place. And lines 301 to 305 highlight that in the bill that there is nothing that's going to impact that, right. and that applies to not just the U tribe but other tribes that have that agreement. So they'll still be able to access that waiver at the University of Utah.
1: For at the University of Utah, yes. Because the they other, have an the MOU other MOU universities existing. that have given earmarked scholarships, though, are. are if well.
2: they have an MOU in place prior to this bill, then yes, mm-hmm. but if not, no.
0: Right. Uh, I wanna get to a couple, oh, go, go ahead and start And
2: can I add one more thing? It also, you can still give scholarships, again, like I said, for first-generation student, for a family-owned business, you can give scholarships for uh, you know low-income students. You could go across the board. We're just saying you now cannot target gender and race as the sole reason. But there are lots of things that you can still do to help these students. And again, we'll still have student success centers where their students can go to get the assistance they need.
0: Which includes privately funded scholarships. Absolutely.
2: I just
3: feel like there was a lot of nuance missing from the bill, and and that's perhaps as someone, you know, I teach in, in higher ed in the med school. And I think that we, in the health spaces in particular missed the opportunity to say we do need to include dialogues about sex and race about some things we need to teach about sex and race and some things when we hire we need to think about sex and race and so for me looking at it again it's it's a little bit back to the same conversation we had before on the previous bill is that we've left a whole lot of folks feeling targeted and I want us to be careful about that but I also want us to say if I'm hiring a coordinator for a sickle cell anemia center I want to be able to ask tell me about your uh Experience and interactions working with the African-American community. Tell me about your comfort. I want that and right person. the last person. version
2: of the bill does that. It did a carve-out for health. And because during COVID, we saw there were some communities that were disproportionately impacted. And so it does a directive to the Department of Health in Utah and says, you've got a year. Let's review these programs, see what we need see to See where to the discuss. disparities are but and it see what we need to. But it does not pull that in. So it actually is a nuanced approach. It's being painted with a really broad brush. But with you go through the bill, the last version, there was a lot of thought put into it. Because you're right. There are different disparities that exist and especially within the medical community, trying to acknowledge those. And that's that's what the sponsor did. So so that's something that we'll see next year a follow-up to, but we we did try and make sure that we were very nuanced in that approach. And I
1: think correct me if I'm wrong, but there are also changes made that allow them to look at, you know, disparities in criminal justice penalties, like for example. I mean if it's funded by federal agencies, yes, that was already in there. But if it's these these it clarified that they can study those in an academic way uh, and look at disparities in criminal justice system, which I think is an important uh, fix that they made.
0: I want to get to a couple more bills, but I want to talk about the budget for just a second, because this is going to be an interesting week. Uh, for those watching, today's the the last day for people to submit their request for appropriation. So we get the big, long list, and there are a lot of them, yeah. a lot of requests out there. And uh, the the legislature, you all just passed the base budget bills. This was a $28 billion base budget that you've already passed in the first two weeks of the session. That's about 96% of everything you'll be giving out. Representative, talk for a moment about why we, why we do these budgets up front, the base budgets, Mm -hmm. and leave the rest for what comes at the end of the session?
2: There is a reason we're the best managed state in the country, and we still have the highest approval, excuse me, (laughs) I'd like to think we have the highest approval rating. No, that we have the highest credit rating, Mm -hmm. and uh, that we have a balanced budget, and that we have to, at the end of the day, make sure all of our our needs are met, and still not go into debt for it, right, and and do so responsibly. And and so what we do, though, is we have a base budget, so the things that we know we're going to have to pay for. So if you think Mm -hmm. of it from a household budget, it's your your mortgage it's your groceries for your kiddos right and preschool expense or whatever you want to call your home budget that you have to pay those expenses and then you have beyond that that's what we go in and look at additional revenues for we do this though so that if something gets incredibly political during the session we don't leave the session with mm-hmm. an unfunded budget right so we have our base budget items right out of the gate um, that are taken care of and I think that's important as we move forward
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think a lot of uh, I didn't realize before I was elected that the legislature's only real job is is the budget, right? We get to do the other things, but nothing else is mandated and, and we work on other issues that we think are important. But this budget, that's what we're there for. The purse Yeah, is, is to make sure that the state keeps the lights on, keeps the things done that need to be done. And, and that was a learning curve for me, as you know, as a relatively new legislator. But mm-hmm. That's our true job.
0: Uh, we, of course, uh, you, you work on a budget right now. Then you get revenue consensus revenue numbers later so we know what the actual tax receipts are that they have for the state. But we're already talking, Robert, uh, in our legislature, particularly through uh, Senator Chris Wilson, uh, about a potential income tax reduction. we Are going to see that? If so, what are you hearing about how you offset that? And the idea was this. It would go from 4.65 percent to 4.55 percent.
1: Yeah, a tenth of a percent. It would be uh, uh, about $160 million. million And I think the fifth, sixth year in a row that they've cut taxes? I mean, the income tax has fallen from 5% down to, like you mentioned, 4.45. Um, and, and so, in an election year, there's nothing better, right? These guys all want to go out there and run for re-election on that topic. Um, the question then becomes, what are we not spending? What are we not funding? Are we are we going to not fund education? I mean, the base budget funds, the growth and, and uh, uh, inflation and education already, they set that up. But are there other things, have we funded everything else in government to the levels that the public thinks it should be and and to put it in a bl- little bit of perspective too uh, the 160 million dollars is is I think roughly about six dollars a household uh, per year uh, it varies, on the varies depending okay. on the level of income and the and the family size yeah um, so it's it's not going to be a huge uh, boon I think for families or pa- taxpayers but you know for from an election standpoint I think it looks pretty good and and you know and they, they do say that this is help Utah remain competitive with other states around the country. This
0: can't be the last comment, but we'll watch this closely. A lot of bills still to come, a lot to talk about in the Hinckley Report. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.